think there is a defined a definition of what a John Carpenter movie is, or do you feel like you've done enough different kinds of genres that it's still that's a really good question I think there's probably an essential John Carpenter movie in the way that I uh, tell a story and, and the kind of characters that I like to, to tell stories about mm -hmm. I've certainly made movies in my career that were done for various reasons sometimes because I needed a paycheck mm -hmm. sometimes because I got a script that wasn't mine but it had something appealing about it if you know what I mean there's something I'd like to try but if you, you know, left on my own devices, yeah, it's pretty much uh, the same kind of issues over and over again. It's usually going to get some action and violence and suspense and so forth. Welcome back to a brand new exciting episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the show where we go back and talk about these movies that bombed at the box office and were just underappreciated by the critics. Brad, we have a doozy this week, right? We do. Hey, you nailed that intro on the first try, buddy. Good job. I, I know. It's uh, <laughs> it's like I've done this for a while, right? Yeah. So uh, we, we have someone who has once again requested a film numerous times. And I decided to make this person shut up and finally review this film. So we are doing 2001's John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Yes. And and the person who requested it is now on this show so he could uh, walk the line with us. Yeah. And You're welcome. Brett, yeah. Brett, welcome back. You're the guy who'll do everything for love, but you won't do that. What is that, Brett? What will you not do for love? Is this a family-friendly podcast? Or? <laughs> Absolutely. The kids are listening. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's a gift and a curse. Uh, this was a film that I remember um, very poorly after watching um, after watching it this week. So I will uh, I'll save my thoughts as we start to really dig into this one. Okay. Well, hey, we're talking John Carpenter, right? So we had to just make this a very special episode. And uh, we wanted to have our very good Korean cool friend, John, back on the show. Uh, Brad, you're, you're grimacing. Why? I, I don't know. Something about Korean cool just makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Why? He's <laughs> Korean and he's cool. Yeah. Okay. Why? What's Both of those things are true. It just makes me feel <laughs> icky. You can't say you can't say that? You can say whatever you want, buddy. Go ahead. I, I, am I am I getting canceled for saying Korean cool? No. Oh, okay. No. We're, can we're we just talk about Korean cool this whole uh, episode and not go, go some Mars? <laughs> <laughs> okay. John, how you can doing? We write a, can we write a script called Korean cool about John? Dude, that would be like oh, one would be, awesome action film. Like, that would. Yeah, would. we could have Don Lee and John team up and they could be cops on the edge. It would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we might be related. Who knows? I mean, you do have a lot of very dude. similarities, man. <laughs> Throw in Samo Hung in there, too. Just like, no. Ooh, see, Samo's not Korean, though. Well, I, I'm just saying, like, we need a we need a fight choreographer. Oh, OK. Yeah, he yes, he, he could do the fight choreography. I like it. <laughs> OK, yeah. Down with that. Absolutely. So I, I I was really curious about this. We're, we're talking about 2001 Ghost of Mars, 
And for whatever reason, it, it just hit me like there are a ton of science fiction films about Mars, either us going to Mars, uh, Martians invading the Earth. You know, we've, we've got two versions of invaders from Mars. So I went back to kind of look just real quick because in my head, I'm like, man, I, I think there are a ton of science fiction films that have to do with Mars. And oh, my God, there are. Do you guys have any favorites? Uh, I don't know if Ghost of Mars would make that list, but when when you go through the list of uh, movies based on Martians, et cetera, um, or us going to Mars, there, there's a just a ton of them. Do you do you have any that stand out to you? I would go The Martian. The Martian with Matt mm-hmm. Damon. Yes. Okay. Red Red Planet's bad, right? I don't remember liking Red Planet very much, but it's bad, right? That's the Val Kilmer one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that That's, year in 2000, there were two Mars films. There was Mission to Mars, which was the De Palma film. And then Red Planet came out the same year, too. Oh, you know what has a banger cast and is very underrated? What's that? Uh, Attack of Mars. You mean Mars Attack? Mars Attack. Sorry. Yeah. Mars Attacks. Oh, yeah. So that yeah. that's that's one of the films where the Martians are coming to attack. Yeah. Right. OK. Yeah. What about you, Brad? You have you have any like Mars movies that stands out? No, Mars Attacks is what I would. I remember thinking that that was pretty clever um, in the Martian. I, I really, really like the Martian. Okay. Gang, gang. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Let's John. Do the podcast the, just like that. Just acting the whole way. <laughs> yeah. I think that would go yeah. over well. It'd be like artistic. Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it, I think it would get big downloads. My head will also explode if you make me listen to the old like boomer music. <laughs> boomer music. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what What are some of your favorites, John? Do you got anything that sticks out? Uh, Total Recall. That's the oh, one. Oh shit! Yes, yes, of course. Yes. Get your Astamas. Get your Astamas. Yeah. Total Recall, and and I'm I'm probably one of those oddballs. Uh, John Carter. Yes, Ooh, we did talk uh, about John Carter. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, here are some that I. So I've always been a fan of the Angry Red Planet from 1959. I, I like the old classic, um, you know, science fiction films from Mars. Uh, it, The Terror from Beyond Space, 1958, which John Carpenter who's the director of tonight's film is a big fan of that one. Uh, Species two actually deals with Mars with Natasha Henstridge, which we're going to talk about her tonight. Uh, Brad, I can't believe you didn't pick this one. Cowboy Bebop, the movie, doesn't that take place on Mars? Oh, it does. Yes, you're right. You're right. Okay. What did anybody, did anybody like, uh, was it doom in 2005? That, that takes place on Mars with the rock. Yep. No, no. Okay. Keep, Keep on going. Uh, oh, how about, uh, how about my favorite Martian? Oh, the TV. Well, there was a no. film based on the TV show, right? That was yeah, that one. 1990, late 90 something. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think I've ever saw that one. Yeah. Uh, how about this one? It's a holiday classic. Santa Claus conquers the Martians. <laughs> 1964. No fans. Mm. No, no. I'll pass. Well, Mars films go all the way back. Like the earliest one I, I caught uh, was 1918's A Trip to Mars. So the 50s were big on them because you had Rocket Ship XM, Flight to Mars. We talked about it, Angry Red Planet, Conquest of Space. Uh, and, and those were just the ones that, you know, we as Earthlings are going to go visit Mars. And then there's a whole slew of stuff where Martians are invading, right? So I am kind of excited about talking with this one because it feels like Hollywood every once in a while um, starts bringing up, uh, Mars again, you know, since, since it's the angry red planet. And, um, I really like this concept of, 
um, just invasion films specifically. And then also where we go, something like Total Recall, and Mars becomes the background or the center drop, right? And we're going to talk about this film specifically and science fiction films from the 50s or 60s because there is a unique feel to this one and there's a unique setup that has a big callback to these films. Uh, if you if you can remember movies where we go to another planet in the 50s or 60s and find out that that planet is ruled by women. I, did you guys ever see like Amazon Women on the Moon? Oh, yes. That is the comedy. So there's that whole skit within there where they go to the moon and um, all of a sudden these, you know, gorgeous women are ruling it. Uh, that was actually a common theme in a lot of these sci-fi films. So that plays into the film we're talking about tonight. And there's a big kitchen there where they can all make sandwiches. Oh my Sorry. God. Brad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's wow. <laughs> wow. That was like eight minutes into Korean. It. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> that we was won. a, uh, yeah, that was a good episode. Uh, a good part on the riff tracks. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> Wow, it only took us eight minutes for this to be a shit show, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get into it, Brad. You take us back to 2001 because we're going to have a very interesting conversation. I, I feel like this is a very divisive film. We actually posted a question on social media about you know what are some of the, the movie bombs that John Carpenter did that just don't get enough love. Surprisingly, this film came up, but it came up within the context of this was John Carpenter's worst film. Mm-hmm. So everybody will champion something and go, as long as we're not talking Ghost of Mars. But yeah, lo and behold. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be you'll fine be if fine. you're not talking about Ghost of Mars. Yeah, but Brett wanted to talk Ghost of Mars. Um, and surprisingly, no meatloaf soundtrack to this as well, is there, Brett? There is a guy who looks like meatloaf. Oh, really? The, the one guy does kind of look like meatloaf. He does, doesn't he? The, yeah. the, the train conductor. I almost said the train driver. <laughs> the train conductor. He has yeah. a meatloaf-esque face. Is that why you picked this, Brett? I could get behind that, but no, I would. <laughs> okay. I don't, I, Hey, look, I don't know where I mean, you're just, I'm, I'm watching it right now in the back and he, he has got, that's some serious meatloaf fiber. Good call, Brad. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, Brad, how did, how did this sucker do at the box office and with the critics when it came out in 2001? Well, um, it was released August 24th, 2001 with a reported budget of $24 million. Troy, it makes a grand total of $14 million does not even break its production budget back. Did anybody uh, see this in the theater? I know I did. I did. Yes. Okay. Unfortunately. Yes. Okay. It came out in 2001. I saw everything from 98 to about 2012 in the theater. All right. So this is nobody's first time watch on this sucker. Nope. Okay. No. It's my first, it's my viewing since I've saw it in the theater. Oh, you hadn't, you have not watched it since the theater. No. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Um, so opening weekend comes in ninth place with eight or I'm sorry, $3.8 million. Not good. Not good. Actually though, with a $4 million opening weekend, you usually only, you know, double that and you get eight. So it actually had a little bit of staying power. If you look at it that way, um, Troy, mm-hmm. it can speed out by films like American pie Two. Uh, Rush Hour 2, Jack ah, Chan. There you go, of course. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. The Others, Rat Race, Summer Catch, The Princess Diaries, not to be confused with The Princess Bride. When I first saw that, I was like, Princess Bride? But no, Princess Diaries. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, Troy, 
Brad. Not only did this film not make its production budget back, but critically, it sits at a whopping 23% on Rotten Tomatoes with over 109 critical reviews and the audience of plus 25,000 sits at 24%. Ooh, the audience hates this one, huh? One in four people like this movie. Okay. So we got four people on here, so maybe we'll think, see what you happens. You think the odds are going to come out one in four on this? Are we making a prediction? I, I'm not making any prediction on anyone's quality of this film, opinion of the quality on this film. Okay. Troy, we only care about one review on this did, podcast. Did they review it? They did. And oh. it is a doozy. Oh, boy. It is Movie Guide. Movie Guide, for those unaware, is the Christian website that uh, reviews movies not for their quality, but for their contents. Plus four being the most holy and um, minus four being uh, hell on Mars. So uh, what do we think this movie is? Wow. Uh, So first off, I'm going to say that they might have a problem with the matriarchal setup Mm -hmm. right out of the gate. So Mm -hmm. you're probably going to hell pretty quickly for putting women in charge. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say negative two. Oh boy. Troy. Yeah. We did it. We it's, got there. It, all the way. It's a minus four. Oh all, the way, all the way, baby. All the way. Really? <laughs> we are there. Language heavy, violence, heavy sex, none and nudity light. I don't really, I don't really remember nudity in this movie. There is a little camel tail at the end, but that's not really much. <laughs> um, oh anyway, uh, not mentioned camel toe, not in the content review. But here is what is a uh, pagan worldview with strong occult storyline where very angry alien ghosts on Mars possesses the minds and bodies of human beings to get rid of the invaders from Earth. Okay, this is all one sentence. Plus, Planet is run by a matriarchal society in a nod to silly, radical feminist ideology. Silly. I'm sorry. Read that again. Silly. Radical. Radical. Silly, radical feminist ideology. Wow. Wow. Okay. Is it because they weren't making enough sandwiches and then it. I I guess. Okay. And I guess the woman was telling people what to do. And oh, wow. They got a problem with that. Okay. They do. About 65 obscenities and six profanities, extreme violence, including decapitations implied. There was no implied decapitation. There was, yeah. There was um, arms being chopped off. Oh, I'm sorry. Implied and depicted. Okay. I got to keep reading. Uh, Explosions, gunfires, gunfire, hand to hand combat, shotgun blasts. Human heads on sticks, stabbings, uh, and possessed humans being pierced and uh, mutilated, their, mutilating their bodies, much like something from a satanic. Oh my god! So much like something from a satanic heavy metal rock band. No sex, but some sexual comments and dialogue. Some naturalistic nudity. Naturalistic. Some naturalistic nudity. Naturalistic to. Unnaturalistic, nudity. unnaturalistic, yeah. Like with someone getting out of the no, there's no one getting out of the shot. What is anyway? Alcohol use, drug use, and stealing and criminal activity not being rebuked, huh? Oh boy, um, yes. Yeah, so that is a movie guide and films you could have seen August of 2001. We have Original Sin, The Princess Diaries. Rush Hour 2, The Deep End, American Pie 2. Guess what American Pie 2 grossed? 
It's got to be like 150 million. You are way off. It grows 286 million dollars. Oh my god! What? Yes. Oh my god! Osm- Osmosis Jones, which if we keep doing this oh, podcast god. for ten years, <laughs> we'll do Osmosis oh, yeah. Jones. That was a huge bomb. Yeah. The others. Oh, shout out to a guy that I share a name with, Brad Anderson. He mm-hmm. made a horror film that came out this year called Session Nine, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, K Pax. We have American Outlaws. We have uh, Innocence. Rat Race, Bubble Boy, <laughs> The Curse of the Jade Scorpion. Okay. Uh, like I said, Jay and Silent Bob. Let's see what else we got. Lucky Break, Maybe Baby, Summer Catch, Jeepers, Creepers, and O, which is the remake of Othello. That's so a lots pretty of diverse slate. Mm-hmm. Yes. The collector. I, I think it is interesting since you're talking reviews. Um there were two famous critics who actually really liked this. Did you have one to of see them? Was reviews? Roger Ebert? Yes, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun Times gave the film three stars out of four. Okay, um, he says Ghost of Mars delivers on its chosen level, and I enjoyed it. But I wonder why so many science fiction films turn into extended exercises in blast the aliens. This is an instant where it works. Now, his partner at the time, because you remember at the movies kind of transitioned. Uh, Richard Roper, who was, you know, co-hosting with him, also awarded the film three stars out of four, saying, is it stupid? Certainly. I think that's the <laughs> point. <laughs> Carpenter is a smart man, and he knows exactly what he's doing. I miss seeing campy action flicks like this at the drive-in. So those were the two that I actually, I mean, honestly, those reviews surprised me. I didn't, I didn't think they would like it at all. But um, everybody else seemed to hate this thing. Uh, yes. Yeah. Very much so. Um, let's, let's talk about the people who made the movie behind the camera in front of the camera, John Carpenter. We talked ad nauseum about John Carpenter already. Now keep in mind when this thing comes out in 2001, this is his filmography leading up to it. Escape from LA in 96, which bombed. And, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I don't think a lot of critics like that one. Do you, you, do you guys, uh, have a take on that one? Like it? Don't like it. Peter Fonda ruined it. Peter Fonda ruined it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you could yeah. say a lot of things ruined that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think just one person ruined it. Uh, honestly, anything after they live with Carpenter, like Carpenter's like Jason Voorhees, just keep his ass in the eighties. Oh, okay. Uh, so you didn't like vampires in 98 with James Woods. It was a little, that one is more fun than this one. And yeah. Yeah. That was, okay. that was I'll give one. you that one. What about you, Brett? You, you a fan of vampires? Well, that's the funny thing is what made this ghost of Mars so disappointing for me was that like two weeks ago, I watched vampires because it's on Netflix and loved it. And I thought I did, you know, years ago when I first saw it really enjoyed this time around. And so then when I turned on ghost of Mars, kind of expecting that same feeling, I, I didn't get it um, to, to say the, the least, but so I, I, I did, I liked Valak. I liked, James Woods. Um, I, I, I enjoyed vampires. Okay. Uh, Ghost of Mars 2001. And then he doesn't direct anything for theatrically nine years and then comes out with the ward in 2010, which I think is another one that's been universally panned. And, and it really, I think if it did get released in the theater, it was very limited theatrical. Mm-hmm. The screenplay is done by John Carpenter and another gentleman named Larry Sulkis who has an uncredited, 
I guess, screenplay or writer credit on Village of the Dam from 95. And everything else this guy's done is, is mostly a few shorts and TV episodes. So I'm, I'm assuming most of the writing f- you know, fell on John Carpenter. The cinematography is by Gary B. Gibby. So he worked a lot with Carpenter on Prince of Darkness. What Dark- else did he do, Troy? What else did he do? We've well, done it. Yeah, yeah. We got Prince of Darkness, They Live, Robocop 3, Body Bags, In the Mouth of Madness. This one's coming up. So the year of In the Mouth of Madness, he was also the cinematographer for Double Dragon in 1994. <laughs> John, you were on that one, weren't you with us? Yep. Yeah. yeah there we go. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he also shot village of the damned escape from LA vampires and ghost of Mars. So he is a longtime collaborator with John. Here's another name that has popped up on our podcast several times. Stunt coordinator, Jeff Amata. Now we've talked about him on big trouble in little China, double dragon. I think Spartan most recently as well. Yeah. This guy's in everything. Uh, Wasted. Yeah, I just want to mention real quick special makeup effect artist Jake Garber, Robert Kurtzman, and Greg Nicotero. So, at least from the the makeup department and the special effects, you have some heavy hitters here, right? I think we can all agree there. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the people in front of the camera, starting with the star Natasha Henstridge as Lieutenant Melanie Ballard. She comes on the scene in 1995 in Species. Yes, uh, she does. <laughs> yep. Maximum Risk in 96. Now, this is the crazy thing. So if you look at her filmography filmography from 2000 to 2001, there was not a part Natasha did not like. So here's, here's her filmography. It Had to Be You in 2000, The Whole Nine Yards, A Girl, Three Guys, and a Gun, Jason and the Argonauts, which is a TV miniseries in 2000, A Better Way to Die, Bounce, Second Skin. She did all those in 2000. Um, and then does ghost to Mars and chili dogs in 2001. I mean, she is a workaholic. If you look at this period of her life, it, it, what do you think of Natasha just as a general actress? I mean, she's been around for a while. She's done a lot of TV, a lot of films. Um, I, I don't know. I'll start with you, John. Do you, do you have a, an opinion of her? Is, is she somebody that as soon as you see her, you get excited, um, of what she's going to bring to her roles or, it, it's just, hey, this is another, you know, 90s, 2000 actress, had a couple of films, that's it. Wait, we we did say this was a family-friendly episode this time. Right? <laughs> just this one. <clears throat> just right, this just one. This one. Um, I thought, I, I so when she, when I first saw her, what was it, uh, Species, um, I, I thought, you know, it made sense for her. Um, but it's kind of like um, Brooklyn Decker, right? You thought, you know, here's here's another gorgeous lady, and you know, she did one good movie, really good actress, and then after that is it's just wait, what was Brooklyn Decker's one good movie? Uh oh shoot, what was it? Battleship. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Watch it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean yeah, I mean, I, I don't think she's like the greatest actress ever. I, I think that for a lot of her earlier movies, she actually put forth effort, but like with Ghost of Mars, uh, just wasn't feeling it, you know. I mean, because I don't know if you guys knew, but you know, she she came on board like a week before shooting was starting. Oh yeah, we'll we'll get into that. And yeah. she had you a know, breakdown and, and, too because of her schedule. Yeah, and you can tell that um, this was just a role. She was just being chilly willy for the paycheck. You know what I mean? Um, 
with this movie. So, yeah. <laughs> We've all been chilly willy for the paycheck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's uh, nice. <laughs> what about you, Brett? You you have an opinion on her? No, I mean, I don't go out of my way if, if one way or the other. Um, but yeah, this one, I think I had more chemistry with my Starbucks barista this morning than anybody in this film. I mean, it, it really egregiously stood out just how bad the, uh, and I will get into, you know, I, Jason Statham, I think had you flip flopped him and ice cube jumping ahead a little bit. I do think that would have helped, but yeah, Natasha, look, I, she isn't the reason that this was such a, an unbearable, painful experience for me. <laughs> um, that's, I'll put it, I'll put it that way. I thought she was, I, I think John made a good point. You know, this was something, if you look at her schedule, she, you know, and I think she probably thought John Carpenter cool sort of the, I do like the setting. I think the, the mine and, and everything, but yeah, just not working, not working for her. Ooh, that last line. It's what we do. It's what we do. Oh, oh boy. Oh. Uh, you, you have anything uh, good to say about uh, Natasha brand? I mean, she's obviously a gorgeous woman, not the best actress. Um, but I think she got, I think she was smart enough to know that she was a gorgeous actor and uh, knew that her time was going to be very short lived and she was going to work as much as she could while she was in the zeitgeist. And she did from 95 to 2000, say four, she was in like 20 things and good for her. I mean, she got paid. Um, you know, she has come out, I think against, Harvey Weinstein and said a bunch of stuff about him and Brett Ratner as well. Oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. yep. Yep. So, you, you know, you wonder about these actors who came out against Weinstein and, and, you know, maybe she didn't do things that he wanted her to. And so she was out, you know, that Ashley Judd has said a lot of things about how she wasn't going to play ball and she didn't get roles because of it. So, um, but yeah, she's, She's not a good actor. She's not. I, she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. I mean, she species, is like, like species is perfect for her, right? Cause she has to play an alien like Schwarzenegger playing a, a robot is the greatest like act uh, uh, casting of all time because he's kind of a robot. So, yeah, I, I can't, I can't defend her as like some great uh, actress of our time. I mean, she's not going to give Meryl Streep a, a run for her money. I, I will say this though. I mean, she, she is I'll, I'll probably be a little bit more kinder to her i actually think she's a passable serviceable actress if, if there were like a b-tiered character actor category i think she would be great in that because when i think of roles like maximum risk in 96 or the whole nine yards i, I like her characters in those and i think she does a really good job i don't think she blows anybody away from her acting skills, but I think she does a good job of sort of delivering that character role. It's just, as long as there's not a lot of depth to it, I, I think, I think she can handle it just fine. I, I don't remember a whole lot about mask from risk, but her and Van Damme bumping in that movie. Yeah. In the back. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. I'll go back and watch that. I want to see those two sexy people go at it. It, I, I really enjoyed Maximum Risk. I revisited it uh, a little while ago, and I think it's one of you know Jean Claude's better films. And obviously, it's directed by a Hong Kong director, but you know she's good in it. Okay. Um, and it, that's I. I never. Uh, how do I say this? Uh, with Natasha Henstridge, you never get excited about her being in a film, 
but in all of the roles that I've seen her do like bit parts, et cetera, I, I think she's very serviceable um, at that character, but I'm, I'm never looking at what she's doing and saying, Oh, there's a lot of depth in there, but I, you know, she's got some good comedic timing in the whole nine yards. Um, the, she got no help. I mean, the script did her no favors in ghost of Mars, but to Brad's logic. So if her and Statham wouldn't have gotten interrupted, this would have been higher on your list than Brad, right? Like yeah. her and Van Damme and yeah, there you go. Okay. I'd see, I'd see Jason Statham with the, Thinning yeah. here, bang out with oh Natasha Huntress. <laughs> yep. Well, let's talk about the other person in here. Um, there's a couple of big names. Before we get to Jason Statham, let's talk Ice Cube as James Desola- Desolation Williams. He was the other person um, that uh, kind of got top billing within this film. And again, if you look at his filmography leading up to this, he had Next Friday in 2000, so the sequel to Friday. He did Ghost of Mars and then followed that up with All About the Benjamins in 2002. You have any particular thoughts on uh, Ice Cube fan or is there any are there any films that you really like that he's done? Okay, I, I got to stretch my hip hop legs here just for a second because uh, we don't get to talk about rappers very much. So, uh, yeah, uh, Ice Cube in the late 80s, early 90s was one of the most influential people of all time and America's Most Wanted. I remember listening to that after he left NWO and you hear a song like No Vaseline and it's like one of the greatest diss tracks of all time. And I miss things like that. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, he's one of the, I don't know, 25. I don't know where you put him on the list, but he's a very important songwriter uh, for sure and rapper as well. Um, his acting isn't great um i think he's very charismatic and i think when he does stuff like anaconda i like him in friday i think he's perfect actually maybe he's a little bit better than i give him credit for boys in the hood is also god yep trespass i I love him in trespass in 90 because he did boys in the Hood 91 trespass 92 if you look at his filmography i actually think he's pretty accomplished actor i agree okay so let's just say everything in the than in like 2000 everything like before the 2000s is awesome anything after that probably not <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about a film on his i totally forgot he's in this film i mean if if we're gonna end up talking about biker boys at some torque. point we gotta talk about torque. <laughs> we torque. have to talk about torque i <laughs> love torque uh it, it is one of the dumbest films out there but oh my god is it so much fun and he's in that and he's great in torque but uh where, where do you where do you land on on this one, John. Uh, yeah, I, I think he has, I think he has range. Um, I, I liked him in pretty much everything I saw, uh, including um, <laughs> it was just, it was just one of his best movies that I thought he did outside of Friday um, with Chuck day um, or Charlie day. I'm sorry. I have a friend named Chuck day, uh, but Charlie day it, uh, fist fight. Fist fight. Was that the teacher one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever saw that. You never saw that? Maybe. Oh yeah, it was it was it was it was good. It was funny. It, and honestly, it's it's what I I see in what he previously done. Um, like you said, being Doughboy, uh, you know, Boys in the Hood and stuff like that. And Friday, of course, Fist Fight. Um, God, what was it? Uh, it? It's one of those things. I think he signed on to like this movie, um, to be the to be the badass. But he it, uh, he came off more like Debo. Uh, in this movie than he than he really did about you know being you know ice cube it, it just it just i don't know he just felt 
out of character, out of sorts in this movie. Um, but again, I, I think I think he has he's he's a very talented person. Um, of course, yeah, I love his music, love his writing. Uh, I do like his movies uh, for the most part, but this one it just just for me, um, Ice Cube. Sorry, bud, just didn't work for me. Okay, Brett, I feel like when we're talking about the actors, you're just gonna just dump on him because of this film. But take a step back for a second. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Listen, think about Ice Cube as as his filmography. I mean, where where do you land on him? I like him, and now looking back, it's you know I think he was pretty damn funny in Twenty One Jump Street. Oh, oh, okay, that's right. Yes, that's right. Um, I I liked, and you know, this was a divisive film as well. I liked him in Three Kings with George Clooney. Oh yeah, that was no, yeah, Three Kings is good. Yeah. Um. So I mean, that's David O. Russell, right? Isn't that a day early yeah, David O. Russell yeah, film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety nine. So I, I agree. You know, I, I think he. Yeah, this. And, and I'm in a movie with Ice T, bro. Sorry, that's <laughs> my <point forward. laughs> I think this. When I was reading about it this week, you know, even oh he, shit, is that Batman, bro? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He came out and said, you know, part of the reason he got involved was because of how much he loved John Carpenter. But, you know, since then, it's he really doesn't like this movie. Um, and, you know, I don't necessarily blame him. I, I certainly don't think this is his strongest um, vehicle from from a, an acting or because he's he's a funny damn guy. And I think had this film gotten more into that and been more of a sort of it, it, leaning more into just how corny and it, I think he would have benefited from that, but where it tried to be too much of a straight action horror, uh, it just didn't work for me. So does ice cube pick roles that are good for ice cube or is he a good actor? Cause I, I kind of agree with your comment, I, Brad, that he's got a lot of charisma, but when I look at his roles and I look at what he's doing in each of these roles, he's always good in them. Yeah, he's but, like a less good Will Smith. A less good Will. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, he, he, right along with Kevin Hart, I thought, I thought that was like a really Jesus. If he was that, if he had that persona in Ghost of Mars, yeah, I probably could have saved it a little bit. But yeah, I mean, again, he has such range um, from what he does that I think, I think he is a good actor if if he doesn't have the role of hey, be a hardcore gangster guy. You know what I mean? But like, even at this time, like he, all he had to do was pull in on his ice cube persona as like a badass white suburban mom's worst nightmare. And it would have been fine. But yeah. in this movie, he fails to do that. Right. Okay. Well, speaking of somebody else that I think um, now at the time this film came up, he, he wasn't a big name, right. Or a big draw. But uh, we're going to talk about Jason Statham. That's how Cameron would say his last name when he was starting. Oh, I, I seriously thought that's how you were going to do it. I, 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 I know your last name deficiency, was, but wow. Yeah, I no, thinking, I always remember that because oh. when, when Cameron first discovered him, he's like, really, I really like that Jason Statham guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Statham. He's really good. Really, Pot? You're going to go after the kettle like that yeah yep okay no hey okay, I, that's what we're doing we okay. call him jason statham in this house uh but so he did snatch in 2000 goes to mars in 2001 and that same year he does a film with jet lee called the one 
as well as Mean Machine, which is a remake of The Longest Yard, but with soccer. And then the next year, I think, is where he kind of hits it the, big with the transporter. In the transporter, yeah, that's kind of his big breakout role, I would assume, because he was guy on the poster, leading yes. guy. I mean, he had a good run yeah. up too. There, I mean, he's doing he you know the Guy Ritchie film stuff like that comes into oh yeah, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, it does yeah. these genre films, um, and then you know, boom, Transporter. It's a huge hit, and and obvious, and he is one of those actors that you know. I got to be honest, I. I can't say he has the greatest range. I do think he's somebody who picks roles that are are good, uh, that are a good fit for him. Uh, something that won't be on the show, but is a fantastic film, is The Wrath of Man, which again is oh, yeah. him kind of parting with Guy. Awesome. Ritchie. awesome. That movie's awesome. fantastic. Yeah, but it was a really good, really good. I, I I do think he has a little bit of range, and he like Spy, the Melissa McCarthy film. The best. Dude, he's the best part of Spy. He's the best <laughs> so thing of that Spy. film. Uh, <laughs> But uh, he's one that I, I absolutely love. Like that is a name. The minute that it's on the poster, or if I I will definitely see it. I will always see a Jason Statham film. Jason Statham, yes. Statham. Uh, yeah. One movie I thought I, I was wanted to like way more than it that it than the actual end product came out to be was the Meg. I thought the Meg was going to be awesome. Yeah. Turned out it was kind of a snooze fest. Um, yeah. Brett and I and Charlie did we rent out a theater for that one? Really no, that know? was too early for no. That was no. We I was gonna go, say we Meg was pre-pandemic. Did we? We might have gone and seen that at a horror hound, didn't we? I thought we saw it somewhere, but yeah, um, we did. We left the horror hound and went to go see that. Um, anyway, so yeah, Satham's great, man. Like I think he's great. You know, he's kind of involved in the Fast and the Furious and the Expendable stuff now, but it's good to see him like stretch his legs with Wrath of Man. So yeah, so maybe we'll get another mechanic movie out of him. I don't know. We'll see. I think the Meg is getting a sequel for some reason. Yeah, Chinese money. Yeah. It did really well. Yeah. 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 A um, couple other names. We've got Cleo Duvall. Well, hold on. Oh, yeah, go ahead. How, how can we <clears throat> talk about Jason Statham, Jason Statham, and not mention one of his better movies with the great Jet Li? We did. We thought brought up the one. Oh, War? Yeah. Yeah, War. Oh. War's good. War is one of the films that I think the first time I saw it, I was a little lukewarm on. Yeah. But multiple viewings, I really enjoy that because yeah. it's a little bit more brutal. Yeah. Um, and hardcore. Uh, yeah. I've come to really appreciate that one the more I watch it. Yeah. All right. Continue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, Clea Duvall as office, uh, Officer Kincaid. I remember she's been in a lot of stuff. Um, the faculty is the one that mm -hmm. jumps out to me. She was so cute. Yep. Oh, my gosh. We've got uh, Joanna Cassidy as Dr. Arlene Whitlock. Now, Brad, you know her from one of your favorite films of all time, right? Blade Runner? Yes. Okay. Blade Runner is Zora. Zora, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I love... <laughs> so this this actor, this is what he's known as if you, if you look up um, the cast and everything. Uh, Richard Citrone plays Big Daddy Mars. So he's the, he's the main <laughs> villain. Oh, right? ah. Uh, most recently he starred in army of the dead, our good friend, Jose, one of his favorite, uh, movies. He plays the role of Zeus. I don't know who Zeus was. I try to forget everything. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, and last but not least the queen of cinema her, herself, Pam oh. Greer as commander Braddock. Now, oh. man, talk, talk about a film resume. You know, we could sit here and, 
show a lot of love for like the early 70s films like Coffee, Foxy Brown, Freddie Foster. Mars she, Attacks. Mars Attacks. She, <laughs> she worked with Carpenter on Escape from L.A. She had a resurgence in a career with 1997's Jackie Brown, which, you know, I'll go on record is is one of my favorite um, Quentin Tarantino films. She does Ghost to Mars in 2001, but she also does another film in 2001, Bones, which was a horror film, which I, I kind of enjoyed that one. Snoop Dogg. Snoop yeah, Dogg. Yeah, yeah. B-O-double-G. Uh, who was at the Horror Hound when Pam Greer was there? Did uh, You were there, Brad? Were you there, yeah. Brad? Was it? I don't remember. I can't remember what I did this past Friday. I don't. I'm maybe, I don't know. Has anybody met her in person? Yeah. I met her with you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did. Um, I have never been starstruck. There's two people that I was pretty starstruck. Jim Kelly was one. Pam Greer was the other. And I could not get a complete sentence out in meeting her. And I just fumbled around, but she is one of the nicest people ever of all time. She was a huge hit at Whorehound. And uh, I, you know, I got to say, she's one of my favorite actresses of all time. I don't know where you guys land on her. I, I feel like um, anything that Pam Greer did, especially in the 70s, 80s, 90s, well, shh, hell, anything Pam Greer does, I'm going to watch. But I don't know if you guys have that same kind of love for her and her work. I, I actually think she's one of the best actresses out there. I agree. Agreed. I'm I'm surprised she didn't hit you after you said me love you a long time. But yeah, that's <laughs> you know that's that would be a complete sense. I couldn't even get that out. No. <laughs> oh, God. Her response yeah, to me was, "Wow, it must be the perfume today." And I'm just like, "Uh, uh." <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 yeah, I was making Martian <laughs> sounds. Yeah. No, she's she's a phenomenal actress. I loved her in every single thing she did. Um, she she really takes her roles uh, seriously. Um, you know, she knows her sexuality um is brought to the screen but it's not like she relies just on her sexuality she really brings life into the characters and in anything she played she really brought um you know really brought that character to life and like you said uh foxy brown her research that was man that was one phenomenal movie just absolutely loved her in that screen blackula screen oh yeah oh yeah that's right no she's she's had just if you go through and look at her entire career it's pretty spectacular. Um, she's gotten so many accolades. It's ridiculous. And I think for female actresses, I mean, she, she was a pioneer, um, you know, especially she still influences actors today. I mean, yeah. Look I, at I, all the stuff that she did and, and like Beyonce is kind of stolen that whole thing in a way. Oh, don't eat. Oh, <laughs> no. true and, true i mean i mean you take a look i mean oh god what's a, a movie she was the she played uh fort apache the bronx oh yeah i, I mean she, just from that alone i mean she's just man she's just amazing in the 80s so. she would pop up in these and even 90s these action films i mean she was in above the law with steven seagal and she holds her own uh, against uh, him so uh, what no? I, th I thought i thought brad was gonna go steven seagal mode you mentioned oh, i'm the name. doing it man <laughs> i am above the law <laughs> so let's talk about production development brett you you talked about this a little bit um i did not know any of this stuff michelle yo and famke jansen were the first choices for the role of melanie bollard or uh but they turned it down okay then oh, speaking of which joy let me sidebar real quick did yeah. you see that interview with tarantino which one about michelle yo no not yet about why he did not uh why he did not uh, cast her in Kill Bill? No, because he said there would be no way that anyone would believe that Uma Thurman could kill uh, 
Michelle Yeoh. And she was like, oh, okay, I can see that. And then she just kind of was like, okay. Yeah, that makes total the, sense, man. Yeah. That makes total sense. No, it's a good sidebar. Uh, so yeah, she was she was a first choice, turned it down. Courtney Love. Courtney Love was originally cast, but she left the project after her boyfriend's ex-wife ran over her foot in her car while she was in training for the picture. I'm sure drugs were not involved at all. I guarantee they weren't. So Natasha Hetridge replaced her. Jason Statham was originally to play Desolation Williams. I think you mentioned this, Brett. But he was replaced by Ice Cube because the producers needed some star power for the part. And Statham instead played the character of Jericho Butler. Um, filming began on August 8th of 2000, extended through October 31st. But production had to be shut down for one week when Henstridge fell ill due to extreme exhaustion. And she had just done two other films back to back before joining production at the last moment. She was carrying this movie on her back for a week. Uh, I mean, she was working like crazy, so <laughs> it's, it's nuts. I mean, if, and we just talked about her filmography kind of leading up to it. I mean, she was in everything, right? So she, she probably never had a day off, uh, in that like decade. Um, much of the film was shot in New Mexico gypsum mind. The pure white gypsum had to be dyed with thousands of gallons of red food dye. It's it's Romani mind <laughs> to, uh, recreate the red Martian landscape. And, uh, here's the thing. So Carpenter did this film, didn't direct again, you know, theatrically for nine years. He had basically said that after the movie's failure, he had become um, really just sick of Hollywood and was determined to leave it for good. So he credits this film as as the movie that kind of broke him. Yeah, and I think the Xbox came out around this time, too. And he was like, no, this is cool. Uh, I know a long, long time this was rumored to be the third Snake Bliskin film, but I think he's come out and said, no, that was never the case. Yeah, that that you'll see some of the trivia on that about being another. And apparently, when he was writing this, he had no intention of turning this into like you know Escape from Mars or whatever. Well, I am super curious to jump into everybody's thoughts. I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break um, since you know we like playing commercials. Now we're going to go ahead and play a quick commercial. But when we come back. We're going to find out um, how this falls in terms of opinion. Would you say, Brad, one out of four like this film? Yeah, 25%. 25% like this film um, based on, you know, viewers going out to all these websites and giving their opinion. We'll find out if it's one out of four, if it's two out of four. Maybe we all like it except for Brett and we're batting at 75%. I don't know. We'll find out. But stay tuned. We'll be right back. Time for refreshment. Refreshment. For your enjoyment, there's hot, fresh popcorn, tempting, delicious hot dogs, and so many kinds of ice cream. And of course, sparkling, delicious, ice-cold Coca-Cola for everybody at the refreshment counter now. Remember, your favorite snack will taste especially good with world-famous ice-cold Coca-Cola. Scream. Alien. Rated R from 20th Century Fox. 
And we're back. Okay, let's let's get into this. Thoughts on the film, Brett? You picked it. You I did. You picked this thing a while ago. I feel like you were begging us to talk about this last year, or maybe the last time you were on the podcast. I can't remember. But you were really repping hard for this film. We added it to the list, mm-hmm. and uh, here we are talking about Ghost of Mars. So, what what's your initial impression on this thing? You you got to revisit it, obviously, based on some comments you made beforehand. I think you have a, um, I don't know, is it a negative opinion or? Yeah, so I, apparently I remember this as being a lot more tongue in cheek than it was. And also embracing that aspect of of this genre more than than it did. Um, About halfway through this this most recent viewing, I, I actually started sweating bullets because like oh shit now i gotta jump on this podcast <laughs> defend why i i wanted to talk about this film but I, I i will say this the things that carpenter um has has always done well show up i, I think the soundtrack i actually do really like the soundtrack i think that um the heavy metal guitar is kind of badass and obviously i think carpenter does that as well as anybody that's ever directed films when he will oftentimes score his own films. Um, and like I said, I do like the setting. I think, in fact, the opening scene of the movie, I, I started before I even looked at kind of the backstory. I thought this would make a really cool snake Plissken because it reminded me of that, that feel. Um, but then the movie starts and <laughs> I'm subjected to an hour and a half of, I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I don't know if they know what it was. I, th- I think maybe they wanted it to be something. And then like kind of, we've talked about it. The, the script didn't do any of the actors, any favors. Uh, the, the, there is, there is no chemistry between any of them, you know? So it just comes across as really kind of creepy when Jason Statham is making these advances on <laughs> Natasha Henrich, because there's nothing there. And so you're like, well, this felt like it just came out of left field. And then ice cube is, yeah, he's trying to be this, uh, sort of mythical felon that we've heard all about. He's desolation Williams. And then you see him and he just kind of got these weird black workman gloves on. And you're like, this not buying it, just not, not buying it. And there's no sense of no sense of dread from a, when, if you want something, if you want to go see a film where when something can pass from human to human, go see the Denzel Fallen movie, because that's really how something like that should be. And I I love that movie. And that it to me, this felt like kind of an afterthought, like, oh, yeah. So once you kill them, then this sentient whatever being or can, can then pass on to the next person. And so then there's a four minute really weird flashback when they're in those minds and I don't know. It just felt like 15 disjointed films in one. And then it ended and all they do is kick ass. And it was just, I was sitting there after this and it honestly thinking, well, did I watch the same movie 10, 15 years ago? Because I remembered it. And maybe I just glamorized it in my head because it was Carpenter. I remember it being a lot more intentional with its cheese 
and, and what I got was was not this this felt like it wanted to be taken seriously as an action thriller and it just was not was there was there a part in the film so if you if you remembered it fondly and said hey this was just a cheesy john carpenter action fest that was your memory of it was Mm -hmm. was there was it the midway part of the film where you go okay i'm just not buying it did it happen right out of the gate or um yeah kind of i mean uh well maybe not right out of the gate because the the throwing buzz saws i remember being like all right i those were cool because i thought that was you know that's you it's it's like carpenter said when i was reading about his thoughts on the film he was kind of like when you go into a movie that's titled ghost of mars you should kind of have an expectation for what you're getting yourself into um and so i do think parts of it did pass that memory test like the the throwing buzz saws i think is awesome but i thought the fight sequences were better and maybe you guys will disagree with me there but i really felt let down by there were a lot of them and they were intense and again i like the scoring behind them but i didn't i didn't like the choreography and that 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 was a surprise because i remember thinking i thought this was kind of like a kick-ass really some interesting fight sequences and i didn't feel that way on this watch is it because of fight sequences that you've seen since then meaning did it dazzle you at the time and now you've seen better probably i don't think this aged well um and then you take i mean hell and i'm not stacking this up against like a sci-fi aliens like i'm not saying that this is that's what i was going in expecting but I don't know. I don't, I can't even think of a good example of a similar genre since then with better fight sequences. Um, but this was just, that was one of the more disappointing things. This go around, I like three quarters of the way in, I was like, is there, because then I remembered ice cube came across the, what is it? Big daddy Mars at the end of the film. And I thought that that was a better fight sequence. So I guess that was a, that was a big part of it was, um, I remember the action being more, more impactful than it was. Okay. Well, John, uh, what was your take on this? So you've seen it before you saw in the theaters, you revisited this time. How'd you, how'd this viewing go? Um, about the same as I saw it the very first time. Uh, I mean, it it wasn't, it wasn't spectacular. It wasn't memorable, but it wasn't like, you know, watching Rob Roy, in the theater for the first time, I got to get up and go play some killer instinct at the arcade lobby. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's one of those things where being a huge John Carpenter fan, I mean, he, he has a talent for building worlds in his movies. Right. And mm-hmm. they're believable worlds for the most part. Um, this setting, this, this ghost of Mars, just it, when I first saw it, wasn't, and it, it didn't feel like Mars. It felt like, you know, God, this looks like Camden Jersey or something like that. You know, um, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, it's, it's the only reason why I went to go see it. Um, Cause you know, whoever, I forgot who I was dating back then, but they wanted to go to the movie. So we saw it. it's Natasha Henstridge. It's Hey, it's ice cube. Um, maybe I'll see some nakedness while I hear him rap or something in the movie. <laughs> who knows? But it, it just didn't play out. Um, it, it was, it has some moments, 
but but not a whole lot that that stand out. I I, I want to say that probably the only interesting thing that really kept me going in this movie was, uh, especially rewatching it this week was I, I I was paying attention to the weaponry, and I started picking up that, you know, for how much money did they have this for this budget? Because twenty four million. 24 million because a lot of those guns were borrowed from the movie soldier russell russell kurt russell you know, film kurt russell's okay soldier movie you know from the machine guns to the to the shotguns and stuff like that it, and then i started looking at you know even the weapons don't make sense right i have a shotgun no stock but i have a optics on it what 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 you know it's just it goes into the fight scenes it's just for a world that, of course, like you said, you know, the John Carpenter scenery, you know, the first shot with the train. Yeah, my son back when he was 10 could have built a better Lego train. But yeah, you know, it just it, it's just for a world that he was trying to even say, hey, you know, kind of, you know, imagine that this is what Mars is. It, it really didn't feel that way. And again, the characters just were not. Uh, who was ice cube's brother desolation's brother um he he was probably the best actor in the whole thing right i mean big dumb but he he delivered on his lines he delivered on his character but yeah desolation i mean that's kind of like the described like the lack of effort that most folks were given in this there's it was just just total desolation actually outside of pam pam greer she played the angry you know co way she was supposed to so they kind of kind of a gut punch when they you know took her out a little too early but it, it's just i did i don't hate it but i don't go out of my way to re-watch it um but you know if there's nothing else on i'll, I'll watch it again okay all right brad what do you think yeah so you you know when you go and you see a cover band and they're doing all the hits that you would normally see from the actual band oh yeah so here you got you know Assault on Precinct 13, well, the cover band would be like Attack on Precinct 12. Or, you know, <laughs> there's a little elements of the thing in here, but, you know, in here it's that stuff or whatever. Uh, you know, we also got like uh, Halloween stuff with the big bad. It's not Halloween, it's October 31st. Like all this stuff just feels like someone trying to do Carpenter. Unfortunately, John Carpenter directed this film. Um, and so it just never really seemed to work. Um, and I think the script is the thing that really holds this thing back. It is embarrassingly bad. <laughs> Some of the lines that they are forced to say, I, I, I feel like they all needed raises after this. Cause it was like, you put me through one of the worst scripts of all time. Um, raises. Oh. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, because they they earned their money because some of the stuff they had to say was embarrassing. Uh, Statham has some of the worst lines I've ever heard a character say in a movie. Um, the last four minutes of this movie is atrocious. And then, so suspense in this movie is never, there's never any suspense in this because they lead with the opening scene of her coming into the board, whatever, talking in front of those people. Well, we know she's going to be talking about the past and she's there in the future. So obviously she lives like there's no sort of tension at all. They just threw that out the window and she's the only one on the train. 
So we know that she was probably the only one to make it. So when she and Ice Cube are on the train at the end, you're like, he's not there at the end. So he's leaving at some point in time. And of course, it all plays out. Um, they kind of build up this this big, bad uh, Martian guy, but he really isn't that badass. I, I will say there is one like four frame. I don't know. Well, it's 24 frames a second. So 48 frames in this movie that I thought was <laughs> badass. It's when what's her name gets her head cut off with saw out of Clean nowhere. Just, oh, yeah. Oh, when it just comes yeah. in and just clean decapitation. I was like, oh, shit. That was the only kind of reaction I had during this, which movie. was disappointing because she like zigged and zagged and dodged the first two. And yeah, then all I mean, the <laughs> she can't shoot a gun. Like I'm not very proficient in shooting guns, but she holding those guns. One of her wrists was like super limp. I'm like, that's not how you shoot a gun. I think but, um, Ice Cube taught her how to shoot or something. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but I, I will say the soundtrack is like straight out of like Doom. Like, what are we doing with this Doom sound? Like, I get it. Doom was like on Mars and like you look at some of the credits on some of these songs, you're like, you get Buckethead and Steve Vai and Robin Fink um, and the guy from Anthrax and all this stuff. So you get these like guys that are really proficient in playing guitar and all that. None of it works for me. It just all feels like someone watched a bunch of John Carpenter films and threw it all together to make one. And you're and I can see why this would leave out of a kind of a sour taste in Carpenter's mouth because he had made some of the most influential films of all time. And then it's just, it's kind of sad watching your heroes kind of deteriorate. Like, I don't know what it is with some directors and, and all directors kind of do this. Like we're seeing it with Spielberg. Like these guys made some of the greatest films of all time. And then at some point in time, they can't do that anymore. And it's sad. And I think that's kind of why I respect like Tarantino. It's like, no, make 10 and leave. And, and, and because at some point in time you lose it and it's better to kind of get out before you start to lose whatever it is. I mean, Carpenter suffered from it. I mean, his last two films are the ward and the ghosts of Mars. And I think they're both extremely disappointing for the type of caliber film that he put out over the 30 years before that. Um, so it's just kind of weird to see, directors just not have it anymore and and maybe it's like not having the drive or whatever to to make something like halloween or big trouble in little china or, or whatever it is um but this is not it this is not a a movie that i would ever watch again i will be perfectly honest with you i put this in friday night and immediately fell asleep like it wasn't 15 minutes into this movie and i was having a hearty nap. So I had to watch it again on Saturday night. Um, and I will tell you, I did not like the first 15 minutes the second time either. So uh, I, I almost watched this movie standing up so I wouldn't fall asleep. So wow. yeah, it's, not, it's not good. It's not good. I, I mean, yeah, I would have to agree to what you were. You know, I, I think you're kind of hitting it on the head. Well, let's let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. The ward was John Carpenter's warning to John D. Depp, but you know, neither here nor there. But after In the Mouth of Madness, uh, which I thought was was brilliant, suspenseful drive. I mean, it had it it was John Carpenter, right? But then it just slowly started 
what was the one right after that village of the damned and then uh, vampires i think he went you know a little tongue-in-cheek you know doing that and i think you you went i think you're hitting it kind of on the head brad i mean memoirs was not very good either no it wasn't but you know what i mean like after after (laughs) that um it's like it's like the energy uh that 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 carpenter had the, the 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 guts the gusto to 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 really put himself into again building that world making it you know really you know this is john carpenter's thing if like you said it, it's kind of like slacked off well i think it it, it kind of goes to show that creativity is not infinite yeah oh agreed uh, okay i i feel like from dark star being 1974 which was really a student film that gets turned into theatrical, right? So you can count that as his first film, but it's really a short film that's that's turned into, I guess, a, a theatrical film. His first theatrical film, 1976, uh, Assault on Precinct, Assault on Precinct 13, which more or less for him is a western. It's a remake of, you know, uh, was it Rio Bravo? Uh, which, you know, El Dorado is another variation of that. Mm-hmm. And this well, it's film, like, it's like Rio Bravo's like meets night of the living dead. Right. Or something like that. Uh, assault on precinct 13. Uh-huh. No, it's criminals. I mean, no, I, I know, yeah. I, but I'm saying the inspiration, I think I read it's Rio Bravo and night of the living dead are the, the inspiration for that movie. Yeah. So. But th- through and through Carpenter is a Western fan. Mm-hmm. So, Assault on Precinct 13. I mean, this one, I believe if if you were to take a step back, because what I've, what I've been trying to figure out on this is if there were no credits, would you even know this was a John Carpenter film now based on your guys's, you know, assessment of it, it's everybody's going back to all these other John Carpenter films and Halloween and all this other stuff. And they're, they're borrowing from it. But if you, if, you never saw the credits of who did anything behind the camera. The question becomes, would you be able to tell this was a John Carpenter film? I think it would be a little tough if you're only looking at the heavy hitters. And I, th- I think it's a little bit of a disservice to kind of look at this one and say it's crap and not understand like what he was trying to make and even his love um, for things outside of the horror genre, right? So he has a love for for Asian film. He has a love for uh, westerns, particularly. And so I think this. Try, one, I tried to bake bread one time, and my, mm-hmm. you know, my effort it was all there. And what I was setting out to make was a great loaf of bread. The end product was ass. I'm just saying, like, I don't care. I don't care what you're, you're setting out. To you're make. not a baker. <laughs> so John Carpenter is a yeah, filmmaker. So the, so the standard know, should be a little bit higher. And, and here's the thing. If it's an action movie, first and foremost, it is, it is not a horror film. Um, it's not even really that much of a sci-fi film. It just takes place on Mars. And I think Mars gives you the added benefit to get as close to a desolate Western type setting uh in the future and, and it I mean, also allows you to save money on no lighting because you're going to shoot everything at night sure but you got a mining town you got all like the classic western tropes as a result of it now it it is an action movie with a on paper i think hindsight a pretty spectacular cast 
Pam Greer, Jason Statham, um, even Natasha Henstridge at that time, but uh, Ice Cube. So you, you got a pretty spectacular cast who does a spectacular job at turning in the most wooden performances you'll see in the early 2000s. I agree with that. There's zero depth to any of the characters. And um, saying each one is a stereotype is probably giving too much credit to the acting range going on here. <laughs> um, but it works for the level of filmmaking on display here. There's no complexity to the screenplay, like zero. Um, nothing really knocks you off in terms of visuals. The mutilated miners that are kind of being possessed by ghosts are interesting, but it's not shocking. And again, your landscape is just a recreation of a Western mining town, more or less. The action choreography, I'll say this about the choreography, it's competent. Um, there's a couple sequences where like uh, Statham does a, a headbutt, but it, he's clearly five feet from the guy's headbutting, <laughs> and you can see that. Well, he does have a big forehead. He does, but not that big. Um, <laughs> so there, there are a couple of misses there. But it does a good job of keeping the viewer in the chaos without it being visually confusing. Um, and again, it's not going to blow you away. But I would say for 2001, American filmmaking action, it it was better than average in that department. Now, against 2022, no, it, it doesn't stand a chance. It's, uh, and, and this is me, you know, saying I love jeff's work over you know american cinema history and i think up to 2001 this was him saying okay we can do these sequences and, and it's okay for an american film in 2001. what has better choreography big trouble in china or ghosts of mars i would say they're both equal i it and i've been 100 no go back and look at the choreography what big trouble in little china probably does a better job of if you actually look at the sequences in the hand-to-hand -hand combat in that one versus this one there's not that much difference. I would say the editing and the style of Big Trouble in Little China is what saves the action. Big Trouble in Little China is not something that you would look at and go, that is an amazing action chore choreographed film. It, it's not. But it's got some great editing. The places where the action takes place, like um, you got this combination of guns and swords and everything that happens in the back alleyway. And even Dennis Dunn's fight at the end you know, where they're kind of flying through all of that is original, but the choreography and the movements is just about as basic as everything you're going to see. And ghost of Mars is no different. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. Everything about this film screams average, but it leads me kind of to the question that if your premise is simple, it's intentionally trying to be a drive-in film, um, probably something more akin to like the Westerns that you would have seen at a drive-in in terms of an action film. Um, and you were to grade it at that level for performances, cinematography, fight choreography, et cetera. You know, does it succeed in what it was trying to do? I, this is one of those things where was Carpenter phoning it in? I don't know. I mean, the guy had an incredible career, but if Carpenter sat down and said, hey, I want to revisit the action genre, shoot another Western on Mars, uh, and this is all the stuff I want to do. And he loves that genre. He's not trying to do a horror movie here. He's got horror elements and sci-fi elements in it. But I mean, I, I guess again, it brings to another question. Does this bomb because everybody expected more emphasis on the horror elements and was this movie is, is it a case of a misalignment between the audience and critics expectations because it starts off John Carpenter's ghosts of Mars.
So I'll I'll just say again for me it's 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 the world building that John Carpenter always got me into it. I mean, <clears throat> I didn't feel it with this movie. I mean, I, I will disagree with you know choreography being equal because again, I mean, John Carpenter did The Fog. Uh, he of course did Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, again from a world building perspective, you would think maybe he was phoning it in because in in both of those other movies. Uh, Ghosts were not stopped by doors, you know. <laughs> so this, to be fair, this was like a red mist. Well, the fog, white mist. They went <laughs> under in the cracks and, and shit. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I, I don't know. It just, you know, your question of if I did not know who directed this film, um, you know, again, no, I would not have known it was a John Carpenter film because again, John Carpenter built worlds. I mean, they live some of the simplistic choreography and action that they've done, but it was a, it was a believable world, you know? And I think that's, that's where it lost me. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't hate the film. I, I just, again, I can't, I can't feel the love for what he was trying to do within this specific world. I, I don't know. So Brett, you bring, you you bring a, well, let me ask you, I'm going to counter that. You bring up like they live, you bring up the fog and everything else. To, it is always, I think, prob, it's always a problem to kind of take a film and go, well, the director had done this one, so let me compare it against this other director's work. Now, I think it's fair to say director's fingerprints, artistic style, everything you can talk about from that perspective. But to compare Schindler's List to E.T., if we're talking Spielberg, it, you, you can't. You can't have that discussion. You can talk about some of the director's flourishes, but if the director is setting up to make E.T. and they're setting out to make Schindler's List or Munich or something of that nature, I mean, he's going in with a very specific story, mood, everything else. And you can grade on whether or not he was successful at that particular um, story that he's trying to tell within that particular genre. And I, I think this is the thing that I think John Carpenter sort of gets an unfair shake on is he makes a film like Ghost of Mars and I'm like, oh my God, it's not, think about They Live, think about The Fog, Big Trouble in Little China is better choreography, all this other stuff. Big Trouble in China is a homage to martial arts choreography. Now, I would be the one to sit down with anybody and go scene by scene on Ghost of Mars versus Big Trouble in Little China and say, there is probably more complicated choreography in Ghost of Mars, especially in the sequences when they're trying to walk to the train, than anything that's in Big Trouble in Little China. Pound for pound, you you do an analysis on that. I would say Ghost of Mars actually can hold its own if you're looking at it from a technical aspect. Again, if you're trying to do a martial arts film and it's set within that martial arts universe and you have that style and everything else, that's what brings the flourishes to it. But he's making a martial arts film. If he's doing The Fog, he's doing a ghost story. If he's doing Halloween, he's doing a slasher film. If he's doing In the Mouth of Madness, he's trying to do some type of variation of the Cthulhu mythos, right? If he's so doing, you want, so you want to know the uh, the director's thesis statement before they make a make a film? <laughs> I don't even know the director's thesis statement. I need to kind of walk in and kind of go, okay, what am I watching here? And if if I go, okay, it is about a group of cops who are going to get a criminal. And they're, it's an escort movie, right? And at the end of the day, you've got ghosts on another planet that are inhabiting the miners of a town. I'm at that point going, okay, I'm not really looking for realism here. <laughs> I'm just looking for, at that point, a, a genre type film. And so 
the director has already laid out his thesis just in the premise of that setup. So then you come down to it and go, okay, he's making an action film, which is almost a homo, uh, a callback, let's say, to the Western genre more than anything. Does he succeed on that? And I would say, yeah, he does. Uh, and the kind of where, and I, and I do want, I, I agree with what you're saying about why, how I think Carpenter approached making this film, like where I would kind of disagree is that, you know, I, for me, and I, I don't know probably that the, the historical aspects of Westerns, I, I would consider myself a fan of the films. Um, but I think the best, some of the best parts about Westerns, when I think of Westerns, one, one, you have to have that the the lone gun who so for an, an another escort film just take three tin to yuma for instance um obviously a much 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 different film not comparing the two but you you have that character who they're escorting you believe it, you buy into that character and again i'm not bashing on ice cube like it sounds like i am because you can't take any of these things mutually exclusive because ice cube again had no was given no favors with the script. The people around him aren't doing anything to build up his character. Where I think the, the problem was, was that if, if it was a Western, I, I would have loved for that character to, to be better. And I think Ice Cube was then miscast if that's the direction he wanted to go. Whereas if he'd have taken... Again, if he had sort of strayed away from the Western and, and went more towards um, just the pure hell, even you look at vampires, and, you know, James Woods, his character, you you don't you feel like the the, the fun and the, the there is some with Ice Cube. I didn't you know, he I, he didn't really get a chance to stretch like John was saying. I don't think he was ever given the opportunity to show his range. He was just trying to be something that, that didn't work. And so I think that's where I read that, what Carpenter said about the paying homage to Western films. And that's where I kind of lost it because I didn't see or feel any of the tropes. Like when I think of Western, other than the isolated mining town and the long shots of just like the abandoned streets. And I, I saw that, but from, I, I, does that make sense? It, I, I it does. And, and what I what I would urge you to do is, you know, go and look at all of the Westerns that influenced John Carpenter. Um, I don't think 310 to Yuma would have made that list. I think if you go back right, and look at right. some of the Howard Hawk stuff, I think you will find more similarities in those films that he's pulling from in this one. It, it would be the same as like, hey, I, I don't see anything from the good, the bad, and the ugly here. I, I don't... The cool thing about Westerns, I mean, Brad and I have talked about this on, on, you know, various shows is they do borrow heavily from the samurai film. Obviously they've, they've influenced each other. Right. Uh, And there's nothing more American than the Western film. But the cool thing about Western films is you can have the lone gunman, but you can also have the magnificent seven. You can have um, high noon. Um, You can also have Rio Bravo. Um, you can have comedies, you can have very serious, dark horror movies in that genre. Westerns can encompass, you know, encompass everything. Mm -hmm. But when you start looking at these sort of Saturday matinee Westerns and even, you know, some of those that were done in the fifties and sixties, 
this if this were sort of a, a schlocky's 50 or 60 uh film shown at the drive-in I, I think it would have played way better in that time frame than something in 2001 and i think it would have actually played a lot better if this film were done earlier in john carpenter's career than it is now because i do think to john's point people get caught up in everything that he's done up to this point and then come to something like this in the ward and go oh it's so disappointing I think he set out to make a specific film and he did it. And is it the best thing that he did? Absolutely not. But does it scream average? Sure. But I still think it's kind of a lot of fun. And if you take it for what it is at everything on face value, and I agree with you, the script doesn't do any service for anybody in here. Um, but I would, I would also go on the record to say that Ice Cube, Natasha Henstridge, Jason Statham, all of them, they only benefit in their performances when they have a really good script. Give them an average script, they're going to be average. They're not great actors or actresses. They're average. So give them something average, that's exactly what they're, they're never going to elevate the script. So there's nothing in this that is going to elevate the storytelling outside of maybe the director. And if the director says, hey, I'm going to make a simple escort movie and it's an action film with with a lot of western motif behind the scenes that's why i can enjoy it i can totally understand where you guys come through because I, I have big issues with it like the my, my biggest three complaints of the film is this mid-scene dissolve that he does where people are walking in a scene and then it kind of dissolves and all of a sudden they're sort of farther along in their walk he does that way too many times and it and it's just annoying as hell um Jason Statham running around trying to put his penis in anybody um, that gets well, old. that or unlocked doors. Yes. Or unlocked doors. <laughs> Still not good. And, and the other thing that really is kind of frustrating is that, and I agree with you in the tension, the story is one big flashback that has multiple flashbacks within the flashback and it's a character. <laughs> yeah. A character wanders off and comes back to tell people what they saw, which kicks off a flashback. And it's unnecessary. Like the, my biggest problem is not this is not the script per se. It's the, the story is very simple. It's they tried to take a simple story and make it complex by doing all these different flashbacks and moving things around from a chronology standpoint. They should have just told the story. But those three things aside, I still had fun with it. I enjoy it. I mean, I, but I enjoy it at the most basic level possible like this to me would be a great film to watch at a drive-in um, and just go, hey, I'm, I'm just watching Action Mayhem and there's a couple of cool decapitations, people, the special, the makeup effects look really cool when they do the, the, the focus on it. Um, the action sequence is early 2000 action, which is pretty good. Um, and I, I do like the, the action that kind of takes place on the train sequence. I think that's where the highlight of the action occurs. Uh, but I don't know. I just, people, I actually think people beat this thing up unfairly and I don't think it's as bad as what everybody says it is. Yeah. Well, hold on. Yeah. Go ahead. Hit so, me, Brad. Go ahead. I, I respect <laughs> everything you said. Now, when I watch a movie, it's nice to know what was the inspiration? What were they going for? What were, you know, what, what, what were they setting out to make? What was their final product that they wanted to make? I only care what I see on the screen at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And when I see something and it's like putting me to sleep and 
wooden actor after wooden actor giving wooden performance and you know i don't even care that this movie is like really joyless and, and kind of like there's no real humor in it like there's attempts at humor with statham but nothing really um terrible storytelling like the way they structure this story is atrocious um i just feel like it's kind of amateurish the way they do it um yeah, I, I just I, I don't care about that stuff. It's cool, like sugarcoating stuff and they go, oh, the inspiration for this movie was this movie. I'm not let me let me backtrack. I'm not saying that because his inspiration is this, that or the other that I give this a pass. I give okay. it a pass because not knowing any of that stuff, not knowing who did it, anything else. If I just watch from the sequence of a train rolls into town all the way leading up to two people running out to stop the Martian attack or ghosts that are happening. I I'm watching a film called the ghost of Mars where ghosts possess people in a mining town. And you have a bunch of people who are trying to get from point A to point B blow crap up and shoot. I think it works fine at that level. I think it works great at a Saturday matinee. I think there is a benefit to the fact that John Carpenter did it and where he comes from as a filmmaker, but take all that stuff away. And just to, to me, this would be the equivalent of Jose coming back and saying, man, I really like army of the dead because of all of these things. And he just likes it. Cool. I didn't like army. It's way too long. I can, we can sit here and list all of those things, but I can also look at this and go, man, I just got a, just a really simplistic, basic action film. And I'm okay with that. I, I liked it intention okay. or not. Okay. John, now you go. Sorry. I interrupted. Troy wrong. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. You no, would I, be I, the I, one. You <laughs> would be the one. Troy. Of course we all knew you were going to be the one. Uh, uh, I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, 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 I wholly do, but you know, I, again, I, I, it's, I don't hate the film. I don't, I'm not trying to bash on it. I'm just trying to say that, Again, from a world, you know, if he's trying to pay homage to Westerns, then why is it in this in this specific movie, I got, you know, vibes of Assault on Precinct 13. Because Assault on Precinct 13 is basically a homage to Rio Bravo. Yeah, but, you know, it's you mean just, Attack on Precinct 12. It's the okay, yeah, there you go. You know, then we had elements of the fog. You know, we had elements of the thing. We had elements of escape from uh, L.A. And, and, you know, it, with the train sequence. I mean, there's just there's just a lot going on that again to, to everyone's point. And again, to what I'm trying to say is, you know, for a world, I'm sorry, when Natasha Hentridge belches out the ghost and is just staring at it. <laughs> okay. It, it's just, again, just, yeah. Even for a Saturday drive-in matinee movie, it, it, it's still, you know, I want to have fun in the world. And even then it's like, I, I, again, I don't hate it. I don't, think this is great but again i think there's just um a little lack of effort and, and maybe energy that was given to this film that's that's what i'm trying to say yeah i i can't tell that i mean i i, I can't tell if uh when you when you see these stories like i can't remember who made the comment of oh it makes total sense natasha henstridge had a breakdown with her work schedule because it shows on screen i don't see that i actually think she's pretty competent here what? um yeah, I, Natasha Hentridge is okay in here. The, the thing that I like about this film that I'll give it some smarts to, and it's and it's something that 
I mentioned in the beginning when we were talking about Martian films and these sci-fi films from the fifties or sixties. And, you know, when movies would make fun of that with uh, like Amazon women on the moon, I, I think one interesting concept of this, they really don't do anything with it outside of it's just there is this concept of the, the matriarchy. So it's a cool take on that traditional fifties um, schlocky version of all female societies uh, or where beautiful women kind of rule the planet. So think of um, cat women of the moon from 53 stuff like that, where we go to another galaxy or whatever, and we find out, Oh, it's an all female society. And so in, in those it's always um, all female societies of the fifties are, are like, Oh, we, we don't need men anymore. We, we do X, Y, and Z carpenter pays homage to that in such a way but he basically makes the the females really the people that are in control and making all the decisions in this and the most badass people in this as well. Now Ice Cube gets his time to shine, et cetera. But I think you um you get him paying playing homage to that 50s or 60s trope of these sci-fi films of, you know, Catwomen on the Moon, uh, Mars Needs Women, all that stuff. And it's basically saying, okay, we'll kind of borrow that from that fifties and sixties. We'll, we'll add a little bit of teeth to it. And it's the women that are in charge and they're running the society. The women are the captains, lieutenants, the commanders, everything else. Um, and it, and it plays with that trope. And I actually think that's a pretty unique and cool callback, but they don't do anything with it outside of it's just the setup. Um, but I, I like that it's there. And again, I kind of, I kind of agree with I don't know if it's Robert or Ebert. I don't think Carpenter's a dumb guy. I think he makes yeah. what he wants to make, and he makes movies that he likes to make. Uh, it, but I I I like this film. Is 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 it rival anything that he did before? Absolutely not. But I would say from a 2001 action sci-fi film, it it was fun then, and it's it's okay now. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> Crickets. I can't, I can't. I can't. I'm just totally bewildered. Why is it so bewildering? Because this movie sucks ass. <laughs> okay. Uh, we just did the exact same thing, Troy. I know we did. It's, just, it's like, God damn, I'm going to pull my hair out talking to you. <laughs> No, I get it. I hey, look, any of the, any of the criticisms can be leveled at this thing. You get, you three have done a, a a great job of kind of pointing those things out. I, I don't disagree with you. I just disagree with the level that it takes you out of the film. Because if you if you look at the premise and you know what you're getting into in the first 15 minutes, you're either along for the ride or you're not. I mean, it it's a silly premise. Um it in the scope of science fiction action films and everything else, it's, it's ghosts taking over people's body. And then when, you know, you mentioned fallen, I, I don't remember liking that film when I saw it, I thought it was okay. But to me, this one in fallen would probably be in the same camp where I'm like, I don't hate them. I appreciate them for what they're trying to do in each one. Fallen probably has a little bit more thrills than this thing, but I don't think fallen's an action film. I think it's not, it's no. trying to be a sort of um, mystery, otherworldly thriller, and I look at this one and I go, it it's uh, <laughs> it probably has you could call it a zombie action film, and I'd be like, well, it probably has more in common with that that type of genre than anything. 
Okay. <laughs> you guys look so disappointed. There you have it. I'm so I sorry. Just, my brain hurts. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Will you guys have any other final thoughts on this one? I just think like one of the last scene, it's like, you could be a cop. Well, you could be a crook. Are we trying to say like cops and crooks aren't that much different? Is that what we're doing in this movie? Like, is that what we're doing? Some days. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Depends. Depends on what year you're going back to, to look at, you know, there, there could be some similarities and differences. It's all different point of view, right? Yeah. 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 Very true. All right, well, I'm I'm going to go ahead and ask the question. I'm going to start with you, Brett. This was your pick. I think we know where you're going to land, but I got to do the the whole formality thing. 2001's Ghost of Mars. Is it a bomb? Yes, and and for me, it's everything that's been said aside and not even so much the fact that it's Carpenter attached to it. I think for me, it was my feeling that I had watching it the first time. I think really, really affected how I felt about this most recent viewing because I remembered thinking that it was really, really good and that I had not really, really good in the sense of quality filmmaking, but just I had a lot of fun with it and I didn't this time around. So I think that more than anything else is why I think that it's a bomb. Okay. John, how about you? Where where are you landing on this one? Natasha boobies. <laughs> wow. It's, it's unfortunately it's sorry for the crassness. Not really. Um, yeah. Unfortunately it's, it's just a bomb. I just, again, from when I first saw it in the movie theater, it was, it was, it was one of those that, you know, I would pay to go see movies two or three times, you know, cause I really enjoyed them. This was a movie that I just, I just didn't really enjoy. I'll watch it. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but again, from, from a world standpoint, it was just it was just a, a bitter pill to try and swallow and follow along with the story and the characters. Um, again, just the the the, the story. Uh, again, whoever wrote this, they shouldn't have got raises. They should have got a punch in the throat. But um, it, it, it's it's unfortunate because I think you know I could have see, I see where he was trying to go with it, but I think there's just a lot of stumbling, and maybe it was because of the the character switcheroos. Um, that might have, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's just hard. I, I just, again, sorry. It's for me, it, it's unfortunately a bomb because again, I, I, I have no desire to rewatch it, but I will rewatch it if it's on, if that makes sense. It does. Totally. Yeah. All right, Brad, lay it on us. 2001. This one is a stinker. It's unfortunate that Carpenter, his well just kind of seemed like it dried up because He's one of the greatest directors of all time, but this movie is one of the worst movies I've seen recently. So it is a bomb. Mm, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to provide the 25% here. One in four. One in four. Yeah. Uh, PSA it, kids do not do drugs. Continue, <laughs> Troy. Drugs are fun. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> do not listen to these three. They repel, they repel the red mist in this movie. They do the red repel mist. the red mist. <laughs> yeah. If you get anything from this film, drugs are okay. They're good for you. Uh, I look, I, I'll say this for me. It's, it's a marginal pass. I'm not going to sit there and go out and say, everybody's got to see this film. Or if you're going to revisit, you know, uh, Carpenter's filmography, this is one of the unsung heroes. I, I I can't go that far to it, but I can say when I saw it in the theater, I I enjoyed it. When I watched it this time, it's like yeah, I still enjoy it. It's uh, it's a mid tier 
average action film. It's got some pretty cool makeup effects to it, but I enjoyed watching it. It's it's fun for what it is. It's definitely not a bomb. It's definitely not as terrible as what you three make it out to be. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I actually think this one gets uh, a little bit of an unfair shake in comparison to the rest of Carpenter's filmography. Now, before you run out and do anything, just just know I'm also the guy who really liked Memoirs of an Invisible Man as well. So um, everybody's going to come at this at a different angle. Everybody has their own opinion and what they enjoy. I enjoyed Memoirs. I enjoyed this one. I kind of like The Ward. Uh, I don't think it's as terrible as everybody says it is either. For me, there's only probably one John Carpenter film, and I haven't seen it for a long time, that I ever really thought that I didn't like, and that was Escape from L.A., uh, but I'm really curious Ooh, yeah. to go back and visit that one because um, all of his other stuff, Village of the Amped, all of, I, I'm, I'm like, I liked it. I, I think there's varying grades to it, but in my mind, he's, and again, I'm only going off of Escape from L.A. because I only saw it like once. Uh, that was the only one where I, I would say, yeah, that, that one didn't work for me. But, you know, this, like his others, I, I put a put a big old thumbs up on there. Siding with Ebert and Roper on this one, buddies. I think you're possessed by one of them fucking ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he so. He has been clawing at his face this whole time. <laughs> he has, hasn't he? Yeah. Hey, let's get to some listener feedback. We uh, actually got a bunch. I'm going to read just a few. We'll save some more for next week. Uh, Jacob had sent in um, a couple of things. He said, uh, I thought of another Dark Kids movie bomb. Stay tuned from 1992. Anybody see this film? I love Stay Tuned. Yeah, that was that was that was interesting. How about you, Brett? You ever not, you uh, not seen it? Okay, it cost John 20, Ritter. Yeah, it cost 25 million and only made 12, and has a 47 percent critic score. It has John Ritter, Eugene Levy, Jeffrey Jones as the devil, appropriately, and lots of other familiar faces. It's about a married couple that gets sucked into a television network from hell, literally. Too dark for a kid's movie, but not dark enough for an adult film. Plus, it's funny. It's Cabin in the Woods before Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Yes, that's a good way to say it. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember seeing this in the theater. And I liked it a lot, too. It was that on was, HBO uh, all, the, all time. the time. Yeah, this is. Yeah, one. it was uh, John Ritter and um, um, Pan Dauber. Dauber. Pan Dauber. Yeah. yeah. From Mork and Mindy. Yeah. Uh, he also says, I found a horror sequel bomb, Fright Night 2 from 1988. It cost $8 million and made $2.9 million. Plus, it has Brian Thompson and Roddy McDowell. Return of the Living Dead Part 2 was also a bit of a bomb. It cost $6 million and only made $9 million. So if you include advertising, it probably lost money. The Gate 2 only made $2 million, but I can't find budget numbers. An American Werewolf in Paris cost $25 million and only earned $26 million. So it probably lost $24 million. I would also suggest looking into Ghoulies 2. I'm betting The Howling 2 is probably also a bomb, but I can't find any numbers. I'll see if I can think of some more. And he also added, I found another one, Critters 2. It made under $4 million and it cost $4 million, so it bombed. You guys are right, though. These are hard to find. One of those that he suggested, suggested is on our list yes. for October. So we are going to talk about one of these films. Um, and you're right, Jacob. This was a really hard list to come by. But uh, you, you actually picked one of the ones we're going to talk about. Uh, we have another one from Ben says, Hey guys, been really loving the podcast. I know you guys like theme months, so I have an idea and yes, I can hear Brad complain about it already. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to love this then. 
A month where you review films with a Rotten Tomato score of 0%. <laughs> now listen to the list he gave us. Number one, 2002's Ballistic X versus Sever. <laughs> wow. Uh, number two, 2003's Killing Me Softly. Which is that Heather Graham? Is that, is that Brad Pitt? I thought that no, was that's killing. That's, uh, uh, what was uh, the name of that movie? Killing, killing them softly, killing them softly, killing, killing them me softly. softly, killing me softly, killing me softly. Okay. Oh, here's a doozy right here. Number three, 2014's Left Behind. Oh, that's Nick Cage. <laughs> is it Nick Cage? Yeah, I thought. No, that you're thinking of the Kirk Cameron stuff. I think he's talking about Left Behind with Nick Cage. Oh, is yes. he? 2014's Left Behind. This is 2000. Okay, okay. Uh, 2018. Gotti. Oh, Leah Thompson's in that movie. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and his last one was 2018's Gotti, which uh, John okay. Travolta, right? Yeah. Yeah. They are Kirk, So there are Kirk Cameron films called Left Behind, but they're Left Behind colon the movie oh oh see yeah i thought we were going there okay well there's four that he chose he, he said good luck fellas so brad and i talked about this i don't know if we're going to do these four but we love that concept i will probably do one of these um maybe two but we should we do have, this brad. we have to do ballistic we have to do ballistic and i'm almost thinking gaudy I, yeah i i think we need to do those two we'll see about I, the other i kind of want to do left behind as well yeah, uh, you know what? We're we are going to do a month of zero percent Rotten Tomatoes and see where that gets us. Oh, it seems like I'm the only one that's left behind. <laughs> you just better be nice to Lucy Lou. What? Nothing. Ray Parks in that too, isn't he? Mm, the body. The body. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Antonio Banderas. Yeah, Antonio we got to do X yeah. versus Sever. Um, what? Uh, Brad, if anybody else wants to send us recommendations, these are fantastic <laughs> recommendations. How do they send us more recommendations, Brad? Yeah, that's not about pod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also do Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can actually go to our website. Uh, that's not a bomb podcast.com and hit the contact us button and leave us a suggestion there. Yes. So, we we generally like to name drop a bunch of podcasts that we're friends with or we listen to ourselves. There's actually a new kid on the block, right, Brad? There is, there is. So we're only we're only going to spread our love to one podcast today. Uh, yeah, let's let's just okay. let's make it a very special moment and do a call out. So you want to you want to talk about what the the newest podcast is that? Um, yeah, it's our our buddy Jose and Justin just launched a podcast. Um, it is called Watch Skip plus um and they do reviews uh on more current films more stuff that's in uh the theater um and they also the plus is kind of they bring something that else that they want to talk about for the week and justin and jose are awesome they're both very good friends of ours um jose has been on the podcast numerous times and both of them are going to come on uh some point soon but yeah, go check that out. It's on Anchor, but you can find it on all sorts of uh, podcast platforms. Um, yeah, kind of listen to the uh, the uh, introductory show. It kind of gives you their thesis for what they want their podcast to be. Um, they were very had very kind words for us and Sammy and Will at the GGTMC. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's nice that they 
found inspiration and and have started to do the podcast thing. So we wish them nothing but good luck. Yeah, they have two episodes right now. One's an introduction. And then the first official episode is on this year's bullet train. Mm -hmm. So you can hear their thoughts on that. Has anybody seen that yet? Oh, yeah. What do you think of it, John? Oh, I I loved it. Fun, uh, entertaining movie. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. You have you seen it yet, Brett? Mm-mm. I've not. Brad? I have not either. No. Okay. Yeah, I'm in John's camp. I, I really enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun with it. Tabitha is actually gonna go back and see it again. It was the first uh time she got out of um the house after getting rid of her cone of shame. She wanted to go see Bullet Train and uh I think she's gonna go see it again this week. She really loved it. I don't know if that's the drugs talking because <laughs> she's still taking a few, but um Oh, so that oh what so you swiped them from tabs that's why you're <laughs> she won't let me have her drugs man. it all makes sense <laughs> yeah so now the ghost of mars love comes yeah, yeah right she's now. she's not oh. sharing her uh her drugs with me which is really mean interesting i just tweeted watch skip plus and they just said uh you are right troy is wrong so well, who's what there you go what me i'm right <laughs> i'm i you said i'm right you're wrong I, I guarantee I put money yeah. on Jose loves Jose loves Ghost of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee he does. Yeah. We'll need to ask him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh Brett, you are is there another movie that you're pushing hard now for? You got anything no. else on the list? No, in fact. Well, yes, there is. And this one I texted Brad about what two months ago, maybe at the start of summer. Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. We've had a lot of people suggest Quick and the Dead. Uh, did that bomb? See, it I, did bomb because Brad thought the same thing and then was looking it up. It is. It definitely bombed. Really? I mean, yes. I will definitely. I mean, I had a. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. We will yeah. definitely talk about that one. Yep. Um, it's, it's mind blowing to me that that. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I won't spoil everything, but man, <laughs> I. Is this going to be another one of those films where you're like, man, I loved it. And then you can sit down and watch it again. No, no, you're like, no. oh this, my God, that's I, I terrible. I dig that. I dig Quick and the Dead. Have you seen it recently? Yeah, right. When I texted, it popped up on my Netflix. And so I was like, shit, I haven't seen this movie in years. Turned it on. And I I texted Brad halfway through after I Googled it. And said, we guys have got to do this movie. I cannot believe that it bombed. Yeah, we've had a, a couple of people propose that one. So I think that's definitely coming up on the schedule. Yep. Um, if Speaking you, of the schedule, Troy. Yes. Do you want to know what we're doing next week? Uh, it's my pick, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> so well, what are we doing? We're, do you want to tell or do you want me to? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I wrote oh, yeah. it. It's it's uh, it's a big it's, bomb. It's like it one is, of the biggest bombs. It is one of the biggest bombs. It's from 2013. Um, it is once again from uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, Walt Disney Pictures. I think Johnny Depp's production company was involved as well. Um, it is Gore Brabinski's, uh, the Lone Ranger, the Lone Ranger, yeah. <laughs> Army Hammer, <laughs> Army Hammer, Johnny Depp, man, we're going to be Oof. talking about some actors that have seen some media coverage the last year or two. Yep. How are we going to talk about the film and avoid all of that? I don't know. I don't know. William Victor's in there. You and your friends are dead. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. That, what other bad impressions can I do today? I don't know. <laughs> there it is. Uh, Brett, John, thank you guys for taking time out of your busy schedule, talking films with us. Brett, I'm sorry that this movie didn't like live up to your memory's expectations. I feel bad. Lived up no, to my you, expectations, but 
I was going to say, I'm glad I reintroduced it to you. That's uh, guys. I, I always have a blast. You guys do an awesome job. Thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me come on and talk movies. Can't wait to do it again. John, you're going to be at Whorehound with us, right? That is correct. This Looking is, forward to it. Yeah, if you want to see know. John in person, see Korean Cool live in action, <laughs> you got to go to Whorehound. We're going to get you a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> oh, is it with two Ks? As I long as we get to play riff tracks in front of a, an Ooh. audience. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're making that t-shirt for you um, so everybody oh, knows Lord. it's you. Yeah, I, I will say John. John's one of the best huggers I've ever met. He's got a good hug. Wait, where That's are we right. going with this? No, he's just got a good hug. Oh, okay. When he sees me, he gives me a nice big hug. I like it. Oh yeah, he's cuddly. Feel the love. Yeah. <laughs> next next time you see him, ask him to do his koala bear imitation. <laughs> yeah. No. See, see to me, he's not Korean cool. He's Korean cuddly. Korean cuddly. Ooh, uh, I like that one. I get that a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, wait, Mia. Don't listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, anything else, Brad? We we got we got all the bases covered. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're exhausted. I am. I you have. I hurt your brain. Rattled again. my brain so much I can't. And can't. today's a success. Yay me! Yep. <laughs> I have a hard time going to sleep. Of me. How did Troy like this movie? <laughs> do you really Those do that? drugs? He stole from tabs. I told you. <laughs> God damn the. Lone Ranger was a nominated for Academy Awards in two categories. Get the what? No. Best really? visual effects and best makeup and hairstyling. Oh boy. Wow. This is going to be a disaster. Next week's going to be fun. Um, listen, I don't know if you're, Oh, see, I did it there, Brad. Listen, so listen, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, afternoon or evening. Thanks for playing along. Uh, check out next week when we talk the Lone Ranger, a Western, I don't know where this one's going to land. Um, man, I haven't seen it in years. I don't even remember what I thought about it when I saw it. Uh, this isn't a first-time watch for you, is it, Brad? No. Okay. Well, check in next week and find out what we think about The Lone Ranger. We'll, we'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. I got it. I got it. I got it.